Psalm 46, beginning at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> A mighty fortress is our God. The Protestant church has been singing this hymn based upon Psalm 46 for nearly 500 years. Martin Luther penned the words to this victorious Christian anthem in the late 1520s. And ever since that time, it has been known as the battle hymn of the Reformation, the triumphant cry of the besieged church of Jesus. Yes, besieged, for this hymn recognizes that a spiritual war rages in this world between the powers of darkness and the beleaguered children of God. Our ancient foe seeks to work his woe. His craft and his power are great, and armed with cruel hate, we are not his equal. This is the hard reality of what the church faces against these powers which threaten to undo us. But this dire situation is not the point of this hymn. The crux of Luther's anthem is that God's children, although impotent in themselves, have such a, against such a strong man as Satan, have a stronger man in Christ who fights their battles. And they can take refuge in him because he is the one who has the strength to completely vanquish their foe. For one little word shall fail him. Jesus must and does win the battle. Brothers and sisters, this is the precious promise of Psalm 46. It is said of Luther that when he heard any discouraging news, he would say, come, let us sing Psalm 46. And how appropriate. For this psalm focuses on the perfect refuge and strength that we have in God. 
not only to sustain us in the flood of the mortal ills of this life, but to give us the assurance of life eternal as those who belong to a kingdom not of this world, a kingdom that is forever. This psalm of Christ, our refuge and strength, is laid out for us in three sections. The first is the promise of refuge and strength in verses 1 through 3. And then in verses 4 through 7, the place of refuge and strength. And then finally in verses 8 through 11, the providence of refuge and strength. So first, the promise of refuge and strength in which we see not only our overwhelming need, but God's all-sufficient care. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Refuge and strength, two things which are closely related, but significantly different. A refuge is a place of safety and security, a hiding place, for the one who is vulnerable, a place of rest for the one who's weak. Strength, on the other hand, is an attribute of the one who conquers instead of the one who takes refuge. Like an army that is always on the offensive, its strength overthrows the strongholds of the enemy and provides a place of refuge for those who are oppressed. And so the psalmist connects these two because it is by God's conquering strength that a place of refuge is provided for the weakness of man. The psalmist understands the human condition. No matter how physically strong we may be spiritually, we are weak, completely powerless against the foe who assails us. We came into this world already held captive by this enemy force. In our fallen condition, we were not even able to muster a skirmish against this foe. Nor did we desire to, for his confinement of us was so complete that even our wills were held captive to his desires. And so even when we did not grasp its worth, this place of refuge from the tyranny of this enemy of humanity was and is of infinite value. In this psalm, God promises to provide protection from this enemy in his strong arms of deliverance. He is the refuge for the helpless, for he is the only one who has the strength to defeat our foe. Psalm 91 tells us that the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. 
like the mother's wings over her tiny hatchlings. God stretches the umbrella of his protection over his children who are just as helpless as those baby birds. We are not the strong. God is our strength. This is a lesson God taught his Old Testament church time and time again. Whether it was Moses or Joshua or Gideon or David or Jehoshaphat, it was God who said, I will fight for you. You need only be still. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord. God is our salvation and strength. And these Old Testament lessons of this truth were truly lessons of Christ. For Christ is the one who conquers our great enemies. By his death on the cross, he slew the one who had the power of death in his hand. He defeated all the principalities and powers that are against our souls. And yes, he defeated death itself. He has become the victor through the loving act of sacrificing himself for us. And so the irony is that we too become conquerors by taking refuge in the strength of his obedient life and the power of his sacrificial death. We are given this promise of refuge and strength. Therefore, the psalmist says in verse 2, We will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Now, the psalmist wasn't actually afraid that the earth was going to crumble beneath his feet or the mountains were going to fall into the ocean. Rather, he uses these apocalyptic pictures of earthly destruction to depict the greater spiritual upheavals that we face. This is common in the Old Testament. Spiritual truths are represented by earthly pictures. And we are to look, as it were, through those pictures to see into that spiritual realm where we find our true enemy, the one who still seeks to destroy us, the one who does all he can to make the floods of destruction consume us. But the psalmist announces a deliverance from fear in the haven Christ provides. Even in a world that he describes as falling apart. And this assures us that when the circumstances of our lives fall apart, and they will, because everything we have in this world crumbles after being touched by Satan's reign, we can rise above that fear because we have the promise of a perfect refuge in the strength of Christ. 
where the effects of sin and Satan's wiles cannot ultimately harm us. And we are able to sing along with the hymn writer, It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Now, living in the absence of fear is easy to say, but it's much more difficult to do because our eyes tend to keep their focus in this earthly realm instead of the eternal. In this realm, we can easily fall into fear. And so we need assistance and encouragement. And God gives us that encouragement every time he heartens us to not fear. We know that Scripture repeatedly tells us to not fear. And I've heard it said, as many of you have, that do not fear is the most often repeated command in the Bible. But I question whether looking at this encouragement as a command is the best way to communicate God's intent. The words seem to be more of comfort instead of command, of the promise of care instead of the correction of behavior. God tells us in Isaiah 41, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Jesus tells his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Instead of correcting us for our fears, these are words of caring for us in our weakness. When a loving earthly father has a little child who runs to him in fear, he does not chide that child by saying, you should not be afraid. No, he takes that child in his protective arms and says, don't be afraid. I've got you, and I will not let anything happen to you. If our earthly fathers love us this way in our fears, how much more does our heavenly Father? For when we hear, do not be afraid, from his lips, we are wrapped in the care of his love to lose our fears in the security of his unwavering protection. And so we hear this admonition so often in Scripture because it is the comfort we so often need. Our human frailty keeps fears close at our door. And when we are overcome by them, we hear these words from our Savior, Do not fear. I am with you. I have you in my place of refuge. This perfect place of refuge in the strength of Christ gives us the gift of losing our fears. And so we can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me.
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This perfect place of refuge brings us to our second section in this psalm, the place of refuge and strength, where we see that even in the, the brokenness of this world, God has provided a city in which we can find refuge. The psalmist tells us at the end of verse 1 that God is our very present help in trouble. In other words, He is always with us. Or I should say, we are always in Him as our new shelter of life. For the psalmist says not simply that God provides us a place of refuge and strength, but that He is our refuge and strength. And because we are in Him, we are always in our fortress. We may be in the storms of life, in storms of our own doing, in the storms of what we may consider to be misfortune, in the storms of whatever evil may be plotted against us. But beloved, we are in Christ, who is our refuge and strength. And the storms of this world rage against a power and security they cannot defeat. Yes, we have our residence in this world, but our life is in a heavenly city where we are sheltered and strengthened in the one who is our life. The psalmist desires us to see this place where our life is hid with Christ. And so he begins in verse 4 to give us a picture of this beautiful home of our refuge and strength. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. What a transition in verse 4. What a contrast from the turbulence of the roaring ocean, which cannot help but remind us of the great destruction of the flood, to the peace of a river, the streams of which bring gladness to this city of God. What is this river? this flowing source of life and peace. It is God's own covenant of life toward us. It is the life of the Spirit which flows in and through our lives. It is Christ Himself who is the river of life. In John chapter 7, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This city of God, which is fed by this river of living water, is God's own community of life in the middle of a dead and barren land. For this city of life, although heavenly, takes up residence in this dying world in the precious body of Christ, the church, 
as it invites all who seek refuge into its doors. This home of refuge and strength is a very different home than this crumbling world. It is the new creation city. A city from above that has descended into this realm as Christ ascended up to His throne. And now, the living water of Christ flows in its streams to bring life to the entire world. And the more we drink from the streams of this heavenly river, and the more we offer its water to the thirsty, the more it changes our lives and the lives of others here on earth. Come and drink of this living water that is Christ. Come and pitch your tents along the banks of this river. Come and make this heavenly city your home. For as we read in verse 5, God dwells in the midst of this city. It is His eternal and infinite home where the fullness of His presence lives. And therefore, this city of our refuge and strength shall not be moved. God has ushered us into His city to love us and to care for us there. From this exalted and eternal city, all the chaos and confusion that we suffer with in this world, all the fears and the doubts that trouble our souls are brought to kneel before His throne. Outside of this city, as we see in verse 6, the nations of this world can rage against God and against each other. And the kingdoms of this world can totter in the balance of powers. But from this city of our new citizenship, we are not overcome by these perils. For God sits enthroned in this city. He simply utters His voice and the earth melts. And all the plans of the wicked come to nothing. And so along with the psalmist, we can declare with jubilation, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who has a mightier arm than God? Who has a better built fortress than the city of God? He is the Lord of hosts. He has all the armies of heaven at His disposal, and He deploys those forces for the safety and security of those He brings into His city. In this city, we cannot be harmed, even if our lives are taken from us in this world. And so along with Luther, we can sing, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. This is why Jesus can tell Martha that though a man die, if he is a citizen of this beautiful kingdom, he will never die, for his life is protected in the fortress of this city. Brothers and sisters, even our last great enemy is destroyed. Death, whom we feared with the greatest of fear, 
has now become our servant before the throne of this city to usher our souls into the presence of Christ's care. And because of this, we ought to be emboldened to live fearlessly in this body, even now. God help us to do so. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Assyria had surrounded Elisha in the city of Dothan to take him captive. As morning dawned, the servant of Elijah saw the multitude of soldiers, and the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This prayer of Elisha's needs to be our prayer. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see the host of heaven encamped around this city of God and the armies of God at our side. For the providence of God is so much greater than what our physical eyes behold. This brings us to our third section, the providence of our refuge and strength, where we acknowledge the blessings of living in this city and recount the goodness of God to His people. Verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Come and behold the works of the Lord. God does not simply promise our refuge and, strength and safety. He accomplishes it. For He is the sovereign, not only over His redeemed kingdom, but over all of creation. His hand of providence guides even the vilest of creatures to ensure His purposes. And His purpose is the welfare of His heavenly city and its citizens. And as much as the intricate outworking of this is beyond our comprehension, it is of the greatest comfort to know that everything is ultimately transpiring in this world for the glory of God and for the good of His people. We have this firm assurance that all things are working together for our good and that He works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Nothing can bring rest and peace to our hearts like this firm assurance. And so the psalmist reminds us of God's providence as it works through as well as overrides the powers of this world. And he does this by drawing a contrast of strength in verses 8 and 9, between God and the rulers of this world, 
On the one side we have man and the demonstration of his power. He wages wars and conquers nations with his armory. And as we look at the devastation in this realm, it can be a fearful thing. But as God opens our eyes, we begin to see that all these earthly powers fail to grasp what they seek and that ultimately His goal is achieved in them. For He is over them. With a finger, He stops their wars. He breaks their bows and shatters their spears and burns their chariots. He desolates even those who are the authors of desolation so that he might protect his heavenly city and ultimately bring his peace upon this earth. Yes, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is how far the providence of the one who is our refuge and strength reaches. He does not slumber but continues his purpose until he has brought all his elect and their fallen home into the redeeming gates of this beautiful city. This is the comprehensive command that God has over all the earth, and he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. All of creation will eventually learn this lesson that even the greatest powers of this world are under the dominion of the throne of the city of God. But it is a lesson the psalmist desires to school us in now. For our comfort lies in this assurance. Like long ago, we must learn that the Lord is the one who fights our battles. We must be still and know that He is God. He is the one who will be exalted. He is the one who has won our fight and given us the victory. All the strength of human armies is no match for the Lord of hosts. But we must remember, this victory is more than a victory over earthly powers. I said earlier that the Old Testament authors represent spiritual truths, or in this case, spiritual threats, in the shadow pictures of natural or earthly events. And the greater threat we see in the turbulent waters of verses 2 and 3, and the greater powers we see in the armies of verse 9, is the spiritual war that rages against our souls. That is the threat which seeks to end not only our natural life, but our life of eternal bliss with God in His heavenly city. And as Paul tells us, our greatest enemies are found not only in Satan and the world outside of this city of God, but in our very hearts as well. Yes, that threat is found in our own sin, which so easily entangles us. For mankind's biggest problem is found within us. It is that we, for some reason, fail to see the infinite value of God's beautiful city of refuge. In our fallenness, 
we delude ourselves into thinking that we have the strength to win our own battles. We think we can do it ourselves. And so we fail to place our trust in God as our refuge and strength. But God tells us, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Anyone who has ever been the parent of a toddler knows what this means. When our children are unruly or fidgety with too much energy, we say, be still to get them to calm down. But God says, be still to us, not necessarily because we are unruly, but because we are untrusting. We are self-determined and independent. We seek to measure the merit of ourselves instead of the merit of God. We seek to be good enough for God, strong enough to handle our battles against our flesh. And so we do not rest in Christ as our refuge and strength. And so God says, be still and know that I am God. God wishes us to realize our insufficiency and to calm ourselves in His sufficiency. And so like a loving parent, He says, be still. Just stop trying to do it yourself. Rest in me. I am God. I am your Redeemer. How many of us are just trying to do it ourselves? There is an insurmountable problem with this, which has a divine solution. The problem is you just can't do it. Because good enough for God simply means perfect, for He is holy. And as the book of Revelation tells us, nothing unclean can enter His holy city. Brothers and sisters, in ourselves, we are anything but holy. But the divine solution is, it has already been done for you. Christ is our holiness. He is the righteousness of God, which we desperately need to enter the community of this city. He is the rest and refuge of perfection. And if you have Him, or I should say, if He has you in His arms, you walk up to the gates of this city in the rags of your tattered life. And as you walk through those gates, you find that you are clothed with the brightness of the, and the beauty of His holiness. And you turn and look, and there is Christ wearing the tattered rags of your sinful life. Only to make them clean by the power of His resurrection. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Beloved Jesus stands at the gate of this city of refuge with his all-sufficient arms open as he says, Come unto me 
and I will give you rest. Rest from your own trying. Rest from a broken world and a broken life. Rest from the sin that so easily entangles us. Rest from the spiritual battles that rage in our lives. Christ is our refuge and strength. Come unto him, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Let us pray. Father, in our weakness, you bring your strength. In our death, you bring your life. May we see your precious church as our beautiful city of refuge. And may we be overwhelmed by your redeeming love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.